0: And welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Today I'm talking with Sophie Hartcastle, all the way from Oxford University in the UK. Sophie, welcome to the Good Reading podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Really enjoyed the book, Sophie, and it struck me immediately that colour plays a really prominent role in Below Deck. Actually, one of the characters, Maggie, is what we might call a synesthete, or more specifically, a chromesthete. Where does your appreciation for color come from?
1: Uh, I actually have synesthesia myself. Essentially, I, I'm a visual artist as well, um, and I've been using my synesthesia in like my visual arts practice for the last kind of three or four years. And this was the first time that I decided to write through my synesthesia, and it was really interesting how it kind of changed my writing style because it felt for the first time like I was writing the way I actually see the world and kind of experience the world. And so it felt quite natural for me to be writing in that way.
0: How does it manifest itself for you personally through your senses?
1: So I hear sound in colour. And so the way that I've used it in my visual arts practice is I would listen to music and then or take field recordings of things and then paint the landscapes in the colours that I'm hearing them in. And then with my writing I, yeah i hear sound in color um and then also people have very specific colors when i think like when i remember people i often can't remember their um their face or their name but i'll remember very vividly what sort of color they were in my imagination um and then their yeah, names and words and numbers all have really distinct colors as well the way that i describe it is And so it's not like I've put on red glasses and the world then suddenly looks red, but it's like a a really strong color association with that sound. And the sounds vary a lot. And the most interesting thing, I think, is that often there's colors that don't quite exist in the visible world, but they're existing in my mind. And so I can sort of pick, you know, a blue or a green that's the closest to what I'm seeing, but it's not always actually a color that exists in the real world.
0: Must be quite an interesting experience, life in general.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: In many ways, Below Deck is much more than, than that. It, it's really a total sensory experience for the characters and for the reader in all the senses, sight, sound, smell, touch and even taste.
1: I mean, that's quite cool to hear that the book is sort of like a full sensory experience. Um, I think that's come just from me to sort of, developing my practice as a writer has has involved kind of trying to use all of my senses and to not just be thinking about how things look, but to really sort of immerse myself in that world and sort of tune into when I was at sea, what the wind tastes like, because that has a very different taste to if you're in the outback of Australia and you were tasting kind of the dirt and the dust. And, and so trying to fully immerse myself in, in her world and, and really imagine what, what that tastes and smells and... Um, sounds like
0: and of course you express some of these ideas through things like flowers and and food fruit even fish and even and song as well and it seems to me that from time to time animals or um, trees or inanimate objects are sometimes animated through some of these senses is that right
1: yeah absolutely so a lot of the research that I was doing in the years leading up to this where I was first I was studying visual arts and I was looking at posthumanism and new materialism which is a way of trying to resituate humans in and amongst the non humans so instead of thinking of nature as being something that's different to humans trying to think of ourselves as an extension of nature as we like to call it and nature an extension of us and then when I was studying at Oxford um, I was studying English literature And I was studying or looking specifically at literature of the environment. And so, again, I was studying books that um, use the kind of natural world and try and break down that hierarchy in which humans have for quite a long time, um, or certainly in the West, have put ourselves kind of above nature and and trying to break that down and put ourselves in and amongst the natural world.
0: That actually comes through quite strongly in the book. It's it's like the characters – aren't isolated from the environment. They seem to be part of the environment or or grow through the environment. Is that something you considered as you wrote?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's how I kind of see myself in the world. Reading a lot of this philosophy and theory, you know, I kind of intellectualised that or or theorised that for myself. But then actually when I went to Antarctica in 2017, that completely changed how I see myself in relation to other things. So it made me feel like I'm not the center of the universe, you know, um, and that my body is, is made up of the same kind of stuff as flowers and coral and, you know, all of these things were made up of the same matter as the world around us. And so it, it was kind of like taking that experience from Antarctica and then trying to, you know, kind of acknowledge that, that we are made up of the same matter as everything that's around us.
0: Turning now for a moment to the central character of the book, Olivia or Ollie, you say you discovered the character of Ollie at sea. What did you mean
1: by that? Yeah, I say that in my acknowledgements, don't I? Both of my parents were professional sailors, and so I grew up spending a lot of time at sea. And then um, when I decided that I wanted to write a book set at sea, um, I did a yacht delivery with two of my parents' best friends along the east coast of Australia. And yeah, I guess on that trip offshore and and really learning myself how I would respond to different things at sea, she sort of came alive as a character for me and started to feel like a real person that I could actually write about in a full length novel.
0: She's an interesting character, Ollie. A lot of people ask me what this book is about or uh, who is Ollie? What kind of person is she? I came up with a lot of labels, but I hesitate to use most of them. I guess my question is, is Ollie a feminist?
1: I think by the end she is um, but it's definitely something that she's kind of explores or comes to that conclusion throughout the book. Um, Yeah I don't think that she's I mean are any of us like born feminists? I don't think so. I think that um, we're conditioned and socialized to um, think certain ways in society and then Feminism, I think, involves a lot of, like, unpacking and unlearning certain things that we've been told of how women should be and how men should be. And, yeah, I guess, like, a lot of her journey is sort of reclaiming her body as a woman and what what that means. Yeah, kind of reclaiming her bodily autonomy and, like, really asserting herself as a woman.
0: There's a real... I guess, what you might label an existential crisis that she faces. Is that something that you wanted to communicate?
1: Maybe I didn't think of that as consciously as I did with other decisions that I made. So without spoiling anything, I didn't want her happiness to be sort of hung up or or, um, relying on someone else making a decision that sort of alleviates her from her um, suffering. I wanted her to come to that conclusion on her own. Like I didn't want her happiness to be relying on, yeah, relying on someone else.
0: The writing of this book, was this uh, a catharsis for you as much as it appears to have been for Ollie?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, uh, yeah, I've been wondering. I mean, this is my first interview talking about below deck, and I've been wondering how much detail I'll go into. But it's difficult to find um, a woman, and often men too, that don't have a story that you know about that time when, when it comes to sexual assault and sexual harassment. I think it's you know this problem is so widespread, and um, I, I was speaking from personal experience, but I was also speaking. Um, to the experiences of so many women in my life that have told me their stories. And, and so, yeah, absolutely, like, because I was basing some of it on personal experience, a lot of Ollie sort of working through her trauma was involved me working through my own and figuring out how to love my body in spite of, um, you know, things that have uh, been forced to happen to it.
0: One thing that struck me in Below Deck was that Ollie always seems to be living in the moment. And that's something that uh, people spend years searching for. Is that something you were conscious of as you were writing Below
1: Deck? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's also kind of a, you know, it was a literary device writing in the present moment that then meant that flashbacks are much easier to distinguish the present. You know, what's happening in the book from a flashback is much easier when you're writing in present tense, I think. And so, yeah, I think she is somebody that is, very present and and she's also living a life at sea that demands that you are very present but then also as an author it 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 allowed me to sort of jump back in time and make the distinction between the present and the past very clear just in the language that I was using
0: certainly your writing style lends itself to that feeling there's a it's like looking into Ollie's mind or being in Ollie's mind I suppose
1: What I was trying to employ or what I did employ quite a lot was um, a kind of stream of consciousness where I would, yeah, I guess almost like tap into the poetry of it and let, yeah, sort of let my thoughts run wild and just chase them as I was writing. So one of the devices, I guess, that I employed, and this came from reading reading Virginia Woolf um, among many other writers in history, um, was using a stream of consciousness. And so that I think a lot of the poetry and the novel comes through using that stream of consciousness where you kind of let your mind unravel and then chase it with seeing what interesting caves and crevasses that it ends up sneaking into.
0: With that in mind, can I ask you this question? When you're writing, are you aiming at something
1: other than just storytelling? Uh, definitely. This is probably the first time. So my first two books were young adult and I think I had, Things that I wanted to say that they weren't necessarily... I mean, they definitely weren't politicized in the same way that I think this book is. With this, I was really angry about something and I really had several big things that I wanted to say. Definitely about victim-shaming and kind of rape culture um, were big things that I wanted to talk about in the book, but then also the way that we, certainly in the West, have thought about nature as I was saying before as it being something that's distinct from us you know it makes it very easy to clear a forest if you don't understand or if you don't consciously appreciate and acknowledge that you are relying on that forest to breathe you know if you only see the natural world as for its monetary value or for its potential financial gain it's very easy to exploit it whereas if we understand and appreciate that the world is intricately intertwined with Every, with us and everything that we're doing, then it makes it much more difficult to consciously exploit it. I did want to say big things about climate change because that climate change is the um, direct result of that way of thinking about the environment and the way that we exploit it. And a lot of my research in my undergraduate in visual arts was about how can we use art and storytelling to tell the story of climate change in a way that engages people. And so I guess this novel was kind of my Attempt at tr- trying to really engage people with the climate change debate. On that note, I
0: want to ask, who you wrote below deck for? Who, who are you aiming for? Uh,
1: okay. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I was talking actually yesterday to one of my friends, um, and it, I, I found it quite interesting at the beginning of this interview that you, you know, um, said that you didn't think this book was necessarily aimed at you, um, and. I'm, yeah. I'm a
0: crusty crusty old generation yeah. guy so just well,
1: to, some context. <laughs> um, is what my friend and I were talking about was that um, I think that this book will, will speak to a lot as a lot of young women especially because it is you know my kind of answer to me too and what my thoughts were about that. There are so many young women that have a story about that time when something happened and you know we like carry these stories and we often share stories with other women. So I think the book is, yes, it will like resonate with a lot of women, I'm sure, but I think it's also really important for men, particularly men that haven't been exposed to consequences of um, sexual harassment and sexual assault. I think it's very important for them to be reading it too, to kind of understand how that plays out on a person's psyche, because of course, um, men have been survivors of um, sexual violence as well. But yeah, I think it's, particularly for um, the people who aren't familiar with how this feels. I wanted this book to be quite a visceral experience. If someone
0: asked me what this was about, could I tell them it's a kind of modern love story, but a kind of dystopian love story? How does that idea sit with you?
1: Ooh, that's interesting. Is it a love story with herself?
0: Well, I guess it's with herself, but it's about relationships with people in the world and the environment, but there's a real authenticity of experience here and a a kind of search for truth. I suppose what I'm saying is, are you trying to expose the reality of modern love or the reality of love or relationships that a woman woman of that age might experience?
1: Certainly for me growing up, this kind of idea of, um, you know, you meet somebody in that, it and that's your soulmate and that's your your kind of forever person it's certainly true for some people but for me I've always thought of love as 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 something that's changing constantly which it is and so yeah this idea of a fixed relationship just seems um it it does feel really sort of foreign and and I know that there will be people that will say yes but you have to persevere at this relationship and you know all relationships have difficult moments um but I think certainly in this period of my life we are moving in and out of people's lives all the time and I think that, that's, that was, for me, a really interesting thing to explore, the kind of changeability of relationships and being able to have multiple loves at different times and that doesn't, or, or even at the same time, and that, yeah, that kind of multiplicity I think was something that I wanted to see, yeah, in a story because, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like that idea of uh, meeting somebody and that being a forever person at your age when you're still figuring out who you are uh, is yeah i mean to me kind of felt a bit disingenuous that you know that ollie might meet someone that saves the day and it it, yeah it didn't it didn't feel right to not have that changeability being explored
0: one phrase that rises on a few times throughout the book is this one which reads i choose to breathe is that a about choices? Is it about how we choose to experience the events in our lives? Is that what that phrase is about?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, so much of the book is about consent and the choices that we make or don't make. My friend and I were riding our bikes home from a philosophy seminar or philosophy talk that we went to in Oxford. And he was arguing that we don't have any free will because every decision that we make is influenced by everything that has been done to us or every environmental factor has shaped the way that we're going to make a certain choice and therefore our choices aren't our own. And I just couldn't accept that. And that was something that I wanted to explore with Below Deck. I wanted to think about and to explore the choices that young people make when they are sort of figuring out who they are. And also when it comes to sexual violence, you know, what choice do we have? Because so often victim shaming involves criticising somebody for what they're wearing or for how much they've had to drink or what positions they've put themselves in. And I think some people would look at Below Deck and think that Ollie's put herself in an incredibly dangerous position. And so I was yeah, interested in in what choice do we have in what happens to us. Because when we think about breathing, when we don't choose to breathe, I don't think, you know, we're breathing whether we're consciously aware of it or not. But then in moments of sort of crisis, when things are really chaotic and, and we have, you know, immense trauma that we have to deal with, in those moments, then do we choose to continue breathing in spite of how difficult things are? And so these were all questions that I was thinking about yeah, when I was when I was writing this.
0: Is this novel the foundations of a philosophy that might, let's say, chart the journey for the rest of your life?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely sort of a culmination of all the ideas that I've been thinking about for the last few years and various conversations that I've had that have Turned out to be quite significant. Have really fed into this novel again with the sort of changeability um, I was talking about before. I don't imagine that I will always be thinking about these questions. I'm sure there will be different avenues that I run down and different philosophical inquiries that I'm making in future books. I think for now this is definitely what I'm interested in.
0: Congratulations on the the new book, Below Deck, and it's been great talking to you, Sophie.
1: Lovely talking to you too.
0: You've been listening to Sophie Hardcastle talk about her new book, Below Deck. It's published by Allen and Unwin and is available through goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening.